and the coffee's almost done. My mother wants to know if IMDb is an app or a website, or if it costs money. <laughs> it's both, and it doesn't cost any money. Ethan, can you hear Ian? Ethan, can you hear me? Ethan, can you hear me? Okay, uh, you're back again. Hello! Okay. Hello! You're back! You're finally back! Yay! Uh, last thing I heard was that Ian's mom doesn't know what IMDb is. Correct. Yeah. She wants to know if That's it costs okay. money. She'd I think be she like, yeah. she can watch movies on it. It's a website mm-hmm. that tells you about movies. <laughs> it's yet a simple thing. Yeah. Ian has the philosophy or the idea that uh, the reason that boomers don't learn new technology is it's a way that they can stay connected to us millennials by asking us to help them. Uh, well, that's a, a really kind idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true, though. <laughs> I know that I uh, choose not to learn about new technologies so that I don't have to connect with anybody younger than me. That's fair. So, but I'm also much worse than a boomer at certain certain times. That's the thing about our generation. Once we become sixty, we're gonna be like just the crabbiest old people on the planet. Don't say that. Might be true. I think that something magical just happens in a person's life. There's an ontological shift Ooh, uh, that happens when, like, the second a person turns forty. You don't have to say ontological just because you're on the podcast. I would not. I would say it if I wasn't on the podcast. Maybe. I use ontological in my day-to-day conversation. Sometimes. Okay. Uh, Did we lose him again? I don't know. Nope, I'm right here. Oh. I'm listening. <laughs> Comforter and counselor, administrator and teacher, spirit-led, truth-seeker, Preacher, sermon leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is a pastor? Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week, we sit down to talk about our experiences and challenges as pastors doing small-town ministry during uncertain times. Join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. So this week on What the Hell is a Pastor, we're going to talk about what it's like to be a pastor around the holidays, because it can be a little bit tricky. And we have a special guest with us. Ian is joining us for the holidays. Ian wants everyone to know that he is not currently a pastor. Not a pastor. Not a pastor, but he has been a pastoral intern and done church stuff for a long time. So he knows he knows what it's like. But Ethan, how was your week this week? My week was good. I I um am basically my entire week was spent getting things ready for the holidays, which we will talk about soon. But I do have one like pretty good story uh, that I want to share because it's about Bible study. So I love Bible studies. Any opportunity I have uh, to nerd out and teach and talk to folks about what they think is true and stuff is really – uh, one of maybe three things about this job that actually gives me any life. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> and so I I love Bible study. 
And we're currently doing a Bible study on uh, the book of Romans uh, right now, <clears throat> pardon me, with a couple of folks. And I had a really great opportunity to uh, kind of talk to talk to them about we're on uh, the end of chapter five of Romans, beginning of chapter six. So St. Paul has just finished one of his arguments for uh, Adam and Christ, right? Like the, yeah. the first Adam and the second Adam kind of a thing, which is really great. See, I won't I won't sit Adams. and explain them. Thing. Two Adams. There's two so, Adams. We were we were arguing about the origin of Lilith earlier and and whether that's biblical or not. And Ian was like, "Well, they don't talk about what happens to the first man in the first creation story." And I want to hear that fanfic. Anyway, that's true. Keep going. That's true. We're that's also really doing Romans. Uh, we just got through Romans one on Sunday, so I'm gonna hit you up for some Romans thoughts sometime. Oh, very on the podcast, good. Very good. Yeah, keep going. I understand. Um and. Uh, one of the things that I love about this group that I'm doing Bible study with is they have a lot of questions and and they have a lot of comments and 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 they're they're kind of they they're think they're thinkers who think out loud which I really like because I am too and um, one of them was like I don't think Paul is right and I love that <laughs> because that's not really what they meant what they meant was what you are saying Paul is saying is not anything that I believe already. And and so I was like, say more. And they're like, well, why do we need all this stuff? Like, why why do we need all this first Adam, second Adam, what was lost in Adam is 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 regained in Jesus, you know, the the gift. Like what you know, why can't it just be like how it how it is? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well isn't it just that Jesus dies so our sins are forgiven? And I was like, interesting. And and I was like, okay, I know what you're saying. Saint, and I, and I kind of look at it. I was like, it appears that Saint Paul uh, does not think that is enough. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 everybody's like, huh. And so one of them was like, but but it says so in the Bible. Jesus dies so our sins are forgiven. I was like, where? And she was like, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, in in Romans, St. Paul says a lot of things. And one of the things St. Paul says is this conversation about the second Adam. And, and he doesn't actually use the phrase the second Adam in that part of Romans, but we, we shorthanded it. And it was really great. It was a really great conversation just about – we ended up talking about how the New Testament doesn't speak with one voice. And mm. we ended up talking about how – that's a really good thing. That's not a bad thing at all. It just means that this is more complicated and more deeper and, 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 and it can't just be explained with little catchphrases. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's actually not so, so simple. Uh, on one hand, it is because it's really just about, in, in some ways, it's about, uh, new life with Jesus, you know, and, and, and that's a simple thing enough to, it's a simple enough thing to say, but, we know as we dive into the New Testament and as we think about faith and, and, you know, stuff like as we, what, as we work our faith out with fear and trembling, <laughs> right. uh, we know that no, it's actually, it, faith resists simple phrases. Right. Yeah. Right, right. You know, and, and, and that doesn't mean that we don't arrive at, at what, what we might call um, simple childlike faith that that's not what that means but it does mean that 
you know, it, it, it can't be captured. Salvation and the gospel and, and new life can't sort of be captured by catchphrases like Jesus died to forgive your sins. Otherwise, the Bible would be a sentence. Right. Or, or you know, <laughs> and that, and, and it was a good, it was a great conversation. Loved it. Yeah. I experienced, so one, that's fantastic. And I appreciate that. My week this week has been dominated by kind of an, an opposite experience of that. So I wrote a blog post talking about how how hard it is to be in rural ministry, knowing that there are a lot of rural churches that are going to suffer and a lot of rural communities that are going to suffer because churches might not be able to do all the community supporting work that they're doing if we split in the UMC. But at the same time, talking about like how much of a detriment it is to my mental health to be a, a bi woman in ministry in the United Methodist Church. And right. there, some, one person um, who kind of sparked the idea in me had responded to a tweet of mine uh, saying that like, well, what is it if you, if you gain the world but lose your soul, which is kind of like a catchphrase. Like there's, there are so many biblical like catchphrases to pull from and like I ended up writing the post to like kind of take apart not not biblically take apart what the the person on Twitter was talking about because I could but that like I don't know that taking apart the Bible convinces people so I just went for like well this is what my experience is let me tell you about my experience of God and my experience of church right now and then mm-hmm. I've had a lot of support. It's been great. Uh, it got shared by the Reconciling Ministries Network, so I've gotten a lot of people talking to me. Um, That's and one great. person, yeah, it's been good. Um, but one person came back and was talking about, um, like, just basically their their argument against the person who had like tweeted at me um, was that like, well, you know, she's a child of God. You know, we are we are all beloved children of God. And while I believe that to be true, I think sometimes what we do in progressive Christianity is to take that as our catchphrase. So instead of Mm -hmm. Jesus died for our sins, our catchphrase is we're all beloved children of God. And like, while that creates a better, uh, like that's a religion that I'd rather walk through the world with. It's also not as broad as what you find in all of Christianity and in all of the Bible. Right, right. It was, right. yeah. I did a lot of internet pastor work this week. That's good. Yeah, it was handy. Mm-hmm. Ian, do you have anything you want to jump in with? <clears throat> I, I work an office job, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like? Is it is it lovely? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's So I, I'm in extension ministry, basically, um, if you're going to put a ministry kind of label on my work. And... We're millennials. We don't label. Well, I just labeled, so <laughs> guess that makes me a boomer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so it's kind of a, a quiet period in the in the in the life of my work as we're um, kind of still cleaning up from the the summers program and getting ready for the next summers program, um, <clears throat> but also seeing like the the students I work with go through their um, experiences of college life and what it means to be a person of faith in the, the 21st century in a totally new experience. And 
yeah, it's it's a good gig. It's a good gig. I'm very lucky. Yet he leaves his computer at the office all the time, and he sets his phone to do not disturb at night. Hmm. That's amazing. I mean, my phone is is it's silent. It's not on do not disturb. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not getting pastoral emergency calls in the middle of the night. Yeah. What's I've, that like? I've started. <laughs> well, that's true. I've started sleeping with the church phone like out in the living room with the with the ringer all the way up. <laughs> that could have gone anywhere. <laughs> I started sleeping with the church. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> she cuddles it every night. Yeah. <laughs> I start sleeping with the church. The church what? Who <laughs> you started sleeping with? Don't say it. <laughs> We've talked about boundaries already. Um, <laughs> it yeah. would have been bad. <laughs> um, so I've been I've been leaving it away from me so that way if there's if there's just a text, I don't hear it. Because if it's an emergency, they're not gonna text me. But I so if it rings if somebody calls, I'll like I'll actually have to get up. Like I've I've gotten I got a call the other morning from a parishioner who was sick. He was supposed to do the reading, and I did not answer it. I let that go to voicemail because I was late getting up and I was gonna be late to church and I just didn't. And I just texted him back because I also like didn't get out of bed to do it because I had brought the church phone with me that night. No, that was it. That was when I was like, nope, boundaries. It's gonna stay out there. Anyway, so cool. speaking of pastors needing boundaries. Uh, we want to talk about how pastors do holidays. And what I feel that we do is we plan all these worship services. Like, my goal is to plan a bunch of worship services, get a lot of stuff ready, and then peace out on the actual holiday. Is that how you function? What do you do? Um, oh, gosh. I try to – yeah, ultimately, that's what I do. I try to get everything done at a certain day. So that when I'm out, I can, I can just sort of be out. Like, like after I'm done recording today, we're, we're leaving. Like I'm packing everything up and, and we're driving down to my parents and to my in-laws and, and stuff like that. Just up until, until I return. When do you get back? So I'm actually staying down there until Wednesday. Um, what? Yeah. Good for you. Good for you, yeah. Ethan. Thank you, Ian. Take that time. I, yeah, I, I'm very envious. My, my decom paperwork is due on Monday. So my I'm not going to have, like, Thanksgiving family time so much as I'm going to have panic time in a corner. Because instead of, like, writing my call story, I wrote this long post about how I hate the church. I don't hate the church. But, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what my holiday is. Are you taking work with you... Like what's your what's your boundary? Is like Thanksgiving Day all family all day long, or that that's a good question. So so I have a number of things actually that that I I can't afford to not be working on, um, just because I have a ton of projects in the air, not just for church but just other things I'm doing. I'm in a two man show <laughs> that that I have to I have all kinds of lines to memorize and so I've been working for a few hours each night for the last like 2 weeks just memorizing lines and and I actually must keep doing that during this time so like I have to do that and I have to study Tuesdays are the days where I get uh bulletin information in so uh by at least Tuesday of next week I have to be working again so so I would probably say I probably want to block off Thanksgiving. That's probably what I'll do. 
I mean, and let's face it, I'm going to get drunk with my father-in-law anyway. So, like, I, I, yeah. (laughs) So, I have to, so there's not going to be any work that's probably happening during Thanksgiving Day. That's fair. Um, Because that's important. I mean, like, like, even though, you know, we're not the only people that have to work during this time, but, like, it's important also to make sure that that you say, yep, nope, no more work now, you know, or no more work at this point. Um, like I try not to work. I, I really do. I try not to work when I'm home. I really try not to work when I'm home because Adre is there, and and like you know, I I, I want to spend time with her, and and also like Beth then needs to do stuff, you know. Beth, when when I'm gone, Beth is the full time caregiver, and uh, and so, like, that's one boundary I have. But this will be kind of a different one because there's going to be so much family with Adrea that, like, I think I think the boundaries can be a little more porous even during the holidays. Uh, and and for like for, for me and Beth who have a small kid, like like that that'll be helpful. So like stuff that I'll be able that I wouldn't be able to get done when I wanted to get it done, I might be able to get done during this break time because other people will be with Adrea. So That's smart. my boundaries will be strange. How yeah. are you going to navigate getting your, your – you're <laughs> trying to set boundaries for the holidays while knowing that you have to lie on your decom paperwork by Monday? Uh, um, well, what what's left on my decom paperwork is really – uh, the theology stuff, which I'm solid okay. on. Yeah, you don't have to lie for that. I don't have to lie for that part, and then I have to write my call story. Um, so, or I have, to, I have to, to make a statement of call, and we've we've all talked about call a lot and how it's a manipulative Made lie up. that keeps us in the process. Uh, like, and I don't, I don't, and we just talked about call. I think a couple episodes ago and I don't want to undermine people who do have like a genuine then the Lord has directed me because there are there are people I know who have that strong sense of that I also having now talked with several other pastors who have been in pastoral ministry for much longer than me like they'll say things like when did the Lord lay his hand on your shoulder or like stuff like that it's not it is like when did you first feel kind of um a tug toward doing this and away from doing other things. And there's also other pastors who said, well, my call is really to to help express Christianity in new ways. And being an elder gives me a home base to work from and in a way of shaping the church in a way that I wouldn't be able to do as a deacon in in a way that would I could do as a as a lay person. But that might be more challenging. Right. So I feel like I I feel like I can say something that's not totally a lie. Like I think I've got a better a better idea around it. And Ian can speak to all the stuff that lay people can do without ever being ordained since he's not a pastor. Sure. <laughs> I mean like functionally like and this was one of the things. So listeners, uh I I used to be in this mess of a process and I I saw the light. Um, I don't know about what these two are up to. Uh, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> um, That's why we have a podcast called What the Hell is Master. <laughs> and, like, functionally, like, especially in Protestant traditions, there's not any difference between um, someone who is a pastor 
and someone who is a lay person, right? Mm-hmm. Ordination mm-hmm. isn't a sacrament right. um, like it is in other traditions. Um, we, especially in the United Methodist tradition, um, affirm the like ministry of all believers, the priesthood of all believers, the ministry of all Christians, and... Yeah, but that's because the laity rioted. Well, you know, this is where we're at now. And so... I realized that I could do a lot more for, like, my own answering of my call story and, like, living into my call by stepping out of that mess of ordination um, processes and uh, being the um, troublesome layperson, um, yeah. <laughs> being the... <laughs> Uh, being the uh, the string fellow in the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would not want to be string fellow's pastor. No, no, I say that all the time. Like, <laughs> can you? Because he says that sometimes in some of his writing, he's like, uh, you know, I went to my priest for the sacrament, and and then it made me think, like, what must have been like to be that guy's priest? Like that that poor priest. I think about that, like the person who is Doctor Wheeler's pastor. Like, yeah, I don't, oh. and like Dr. Algendi goes to some Anglican church and like, I don't, you know, I don't think that he would say anything, but you could, you would watch him think things or you would watch him not be thinking things about your sermon because you bored him. Like, I just can't imagine. Right. And See, I've done a planetarium I, show for Neil deGrasse Tyson. So like, that's saying something. Oh, that's scary. Right. Is he okay. a scientist? <laughs> He's a scientist. Oh, that's cool. He does science. <laughs> Screw you. Uh, see, see, you're all you're all picturing these folks like in the pews and in worship service. I'm picturing Doctor Wheeler serving on like the finance committee. Ah, uh, you're right. That'd be, oh, that's could you so imagine? Scary. Could you imagine like El Gendi as a trustee? <laughs> well, that would be so. So I have. Oh my gosh, uh, so, so Rick, if you're listening, please. Please forgive me. Please, please come on the podcast, Rick. Absolutely. Please come on the podcast. Um, he, you know, like, like I, I, I'm in love with this man. He's, he's wonderful. Um, but he is the most awkward human being I have ever met in my entire life. Like, like just painfully awkward to be around. Uh, at times when he's not in his element. Like when, when, and, and so one time Nick and I were walking down the hall. Uh, of one of the buildings and, and we see at the very end of the hall, Dr. Elgendi walking towards us and, and we're just staring at each other as we're walking and we're staring and we're staring and we're staring and we're staring and he gets next to Nick and I and then I hear him go as quietly as possible, gentlemen. <laughs> and he just walks by and I was like, Ooh, that was so painful. Oh, that was so awkward. Oh my word, <laughs> gentlemen. And I and I so I can't even imagine him as a trustee. Like, how would that go? Rick, the toilet's broken. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I, my last class at Wesley was an was an audited class um, on salvation that uh, on like atonement and salvation that he taught, and and there was an uh, a, a lovely older couple. From the church he was he taught at that uh, took that class, 
like the church that he went to and, and taught like Sunday school at. Is what I'm trying to say. He teaches Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go to Sunday school with Rick. That would just like, can we get somebody to just film it? Like, I just want to know what he said. I'm so curious because he's so adamant in class about like, this is not my opinion. Here are some scholars. Here are some things. Like, he doesn't very often wax poetical or like scriptural or any i like get on his own soapbox kind of yeah yeah. i would like what what would sunday school with rick elgandy be like it'd probably be sweaty (laughs) so he'd probably at one point dab his forehead (laughs) rick i love you please don't this is all out of love like this is this is not please still come on the podcast (laughs) yeah yeah i Elgandia's um, trustee would just turn the heat setting in the buildings down to like 50. <laughs> yeah. One one time uh, after a lecture, <laughs> he he, uh, he kind of finished up a lecture and and was dabbing his forehead and and you know as he's dabbing his forehead he never changes like the cadence of his voice like it's always lecture mode like he you know it, he never stops being in lecture mode like it, of course he, he's he's a great lecturer so he mm-hmm. you know he's really interesting to listen to. But he's dabbing his forehead, and he's like, very good, all right. Any questions? Any comments? Is it hot in here, or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. So talking oh about professors makes me think that, like, they also have to have boundaries over holidays and things. Um, so it's not it's not like pastors are unique in needing to do that. So what makes us, like... What makes us different about needing to enforce our boundaries? Like, what's different about our job that that's a big concern? Well, I mean, professors, like, have this beautiful thing called the semester break. That's true. Where they're not, you know, December 15th rolls around and they submit the grades and they're, they're like, done with you as a... <laughs> Who submits their grades on December 15th? <laughs> not any of my professors. Uh, <laughs> Never did that. Yeah, Doug Poe, actually. So, yeah, no, Doug Do- Poe. That is true. That is true. Dr. Poe always did that. At 5.30 in the morning. Yes. That's, <laughs> That's right. That's the best time he's, of the day. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, like they're not responsible for you after a certain point. Like you go home and they go back to their lives. And as a pastor, you're conducting worship services on midnight on Christmas Eve. Well, not me. <laughs> not yes. you, because you somehow ended up in the luckiest church ever. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't do Christmas. But... Oh, did I tell you that I'm going to try to do a Christmas Eve service at the casino? That's exciting. Yeah, I think wow. I. Oh. Yeah, right. Um, I so I like if if because my, my church was like go spend time with your family like that's what we do on Christmas Eve. You don't need to be here. And I'm like this is the one day a year that I knew for sure I was gonna work. My family's aware. Like we'll do Christmas Eve things at another time. Like this is just how this job goes. And they're like no 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 go home. And I was like well, or I could still do a Christmas Eve service. So I'm working. Or, or I could work. Or I could work. <laughs> it's so weird. Heaven forbid I see my family. <laughs> well, I'll see them again the next day. It's fine. They're just down the mountain. Um, but yeah, so I talked to one of the guys who does a ministry with people in recovery, and they do big like Tuesday night dinners. So they'll do a big Christmas Eve dinner. So I might, and they do it near the casino. So we might, if I can get an event space open and get the casino to um, uh, let people in recovery and or people relapsing into addiction come into the casino. We're working on it. We're game planning. Anyway, 
So yeah. That's great. That's that's very exciting though. Yeah. I think that's cool. I'm pumped about it. But that's like so professors still think about their job as a calling, right? Like you don't you don't go into you don't go get a PhD unless you want a PhD and you want to do academia. Like you have to or you're rich. But you have to like to go through the effort to get to this place, you have to want it. So why do they get to set their calling down? Or like, why does their calling get to morph, but ours doesn't? Hmm. Hmm. So I'll start with this. I, as, as I've shared maybe on this podcast, I, I'm really suspicious of the idea of calling in general. I, I'm going to be, you know, I, I, to reiterate, I think that every baptized Christian is is has, receives the same calling upon their baptism. Yep. And uh, and and I think that the the stuff that we do is is largely uh, the result of choices and and different stuff and and it doesn't matter really what we're doing. So as long as we are still fulfilling our our calling as baptized Christians. And, and and so any profession, by and large, I think, can fit into that. By and large. I, I suppose there are some, like, if I am a nuclear arms dealer, I think that's a little hard to live into my calling as a baptized Christian. But You're the lawyer uh, for the folks who club seals. Yeah, that would be, you know, yeah, that's kind of hard. Or but, if you uh, happen to have amassed a fortune that is more than you could ever spend in a thousand lifetimes and continue to hoard it while the world around you suffers and burns, I think a profession well, that leads to that outcome might be challenging. That's social. That might be challenging. That might be bad. But I also wouldn't mind that. I, When I think about it, make my life easier. So who needs Jesus? I, I'm <laughs> kidding, of course. Any, anyway, anyway. Uh, I I don't know I I think well so your your initial question Joe was you know why why is it it was something like why is it more important or or why is it very important for uh, folks in our profession and what we do to um, set these kind of boundaries and to be able to sort of put the put it down to use that phrase. Am I getting that question right? Yeah. For from my perspective, I think that it's really the only way to like A, it's we have to be human. We have to be humans and not machines. So we'll start with that. But but B, I think it's one of the only ways that we can do our job well. Like a couple podcasts ago, we talked about how part of the job is to be is to have a degree of emotional vulnerability. And so like some professions they tell you uh, make sure you don't get too close. Make sure you, you you're not you're not uh, emotionally open, you know, to your clients or to or to whatever, or, or you won't be able to do your job well. Well, for us, that's that's just not true. We have to be emotionally vulnerable to a to a, a degree in order to do our job well. We have to be. Uh, otherwise, we're just not doing it very well. Uh, you see that in like, you know, in a lot of in a, in a lot of different human service professions, which is what we're in. Um, Caring professions. But caring professions, right. But um, on the same time, like I think setting um, both a lot of porous boundaries and, and a few really hard boundaries is also one of the ways not just to protect us, but to also ensure that we continue to do our job well. Yeah. Because um, I totally understand 
why pastors burn out. I completely get it. Like, uh, I've only been doing this for two and a half years, and I completely understand. You know, because there's, there, there's so many opportunities to, uh, uh, create extra work. Yeah. Or, um, to, uh, um, uh, uh, really just stretch kind of the emotional and, and mental and spiritual part of yourself to the point where you're kind of snapping. And, uh, and so, which is once again, why I am suspicious of this idea of call, because I think that at least how the United Methodist Church traditionally uses it, it is used in such a way that, that, um, encourages us to do that. Well, listen, if you're really an X-Man, <laughs> if you really go to Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, you should be able to do this. You know, if, if you're really called, if you're really magic, if you're really special, then you should be available 24-7. You should be a, 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 um, willing and able to add an extra thing in order to bring life into your church and your community. It's on you. You're the one. You're the one that God woke up in the middle of the night yelling, Samuel, Samuel, like you're the one, you're Samuel, but, but we're not. That's as you answered that, I realized that, um, like what you, what you got to at the end was I, what I think was at the heart of my question. Like today I'm going to introduce my partner to somebody who is going to help him make connections for a program that he's running. And that's, I mean, that's work. I'm like working, but I'm on holiday, but also it's not like emotionally dense work. So that porous boundaries thing is, is important. Um, cause I think that kind of clarifies it is that we don't, no matter what we're doing in our lives, we don't stop being pastors, right? We don't stop being baptized Christians. We don't stop having that call to be that regardless. I mean, I think a lot of Christians forget that they're always, they always have the same ministry of all baptized Christians all the time. But I think we're aware that we have that ministry all the time. And we're also aware that we have this other set apart aspect of our ministry. And I think it's that set apart aspect that we're, that we want to put the boundaries on because like you want to be loving and kind and caring and standing up for the oppressed all of the time as baptized Christians, but the like organizing the church and planning worship and all this kind of the kind of drudgery of the job, even though I love planning worship and I love committee meetings. Um, but that that kind of stuff that that can be put into like almost an office hour kind of thing. Right. But I also like, I count reading and learning and prepping for Bible study and like growing my faith and expanding my faith as a part of my work as a pastor. Um, Mm -hmm. And you don't get to set that down either. Sure. So I don't know. I don't know. Did Ian, you look like you had something to say. Okay. You realize nobody can see you shake your head. I do. I do realize that. Okay, but cool. But you just narrated it. We all know what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. I um, and I think that the pastoral field ends up being a place where people who want to work go. Like you don't you don't become a pastor because you want to sit around all the time. Sure. Sure. Do we have we had pastors that just want to not do the job ever in our lives? I mean, yes. 
but but a lot of those folks are kind of at the end of their careers or you know uh, or burned out or, or or stuff like that i once had a pastor tell me that this job is uh well, actually didn't tell me told told nick that this job it can be as easy or as difficult as you make it Ooh. Uh, uh meaning that uh you know you don't have to try very hard you can just kind of do it you know and then then move on and like and and you know and i'm i'm probably a big old lefty when it comes to some of this like like i think that i think that you know work doesn't define a person's worth or 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 you know who they are i i I think that that work has the potential, like labor has potential to be really humanizing and really meaningful. I, I really do, but but never as an end in and of itself. And so, like I I kind of I don't really believe in uh, uh, working so much that it, it hurts. You know, I I believe in working to get the job done and and because you enjoy it and and because um, you take pride in it, but but not not at the detriment of things that are like really, really important. Like I, I, I barely went in the office yesterday because, because my, my wife was sick. Mm. She wasn't feeling good. She didn't sleep long. And, and, and Adrea needed, you know, to be watched. Adrea couldn't, <laughs> couldn't just be by herself. And so I, I got back from the gym and it was usually my time to be, to do work or be in the office or go to the coffee shop. By myself, you know, and, and I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I could have, I guess, but then that would just hurt my wife and it would hurt me. And <laughs> like, like, and, and now I have some flexibility in doing that. Not everybody can, which I understand, but, but, um, but I still took that. Like I took that opportunity to do that, um, because of those, those feelings. And, and, and I feel that's a boundary issue as well. Like to connect it back to boundaries, that's an example of what I would call, you know, maybe a porous boundary. Like, well, I, so I still got some work done. I ended up taking Adrea to the coffee shop and did some work and, and let Beth sleep and stuff like that. But like, but I didn't, I, I didn't insist, right? Like, I, I didn't say, I didn't, you know, when, when I got back and I saw how exhausted and unwell Beth was, I, I wasn't like, well, this is just how it is. You know, I, I didn't. You know, I, I there's a hard boundary when it comes to my family that I kept. Yeah. And and it meant that I didn't get a lot done. It meant that I wasn't around to answer the phone. It meant that some of that happened, didn't get to happen. But like, it didn't matter. I still kept that boundary. Yeah. It. One thing that jumps out to me as you say all that is we live in a particular capitalist hell where being able to have that boundary is a privilege. Absolutely. I that and that's I've thought that about this job so many times is that like if I need to take a mental health day, the flexibility is there. I'm going to have to do the work another time, but it'll it'll get done. And I have a very gracious congregation, so like when I show up without the communion elements on the first Sunday, like it got taken care of and, and it didn't hurt anybody's opinion of me. But I like I also remember being in seminary and feeling like like I could not take a day off that like I wouldn't be able to pay rent if I took a day off at my nanny job. They wouldn't be able to have somebody cover my shift at the library a lot of the time. And if I wasn't there to close, the library would close at eight and then people wouldn't be able to like do the work they needed to do. 
And I mean, I missed classes up until the amount that I couldn't miss them anymore. I mean, I took my two classes off a lot of the time. Uh, But after that, you have to be there. Otherwise, all of this money that you're spending to go to these classes is going to have been wasted. And I can't afford to waste that much money. Like Mm -hmm. I took on extra tutoring sessions. I there's just there has been so many times in my life where I have to go to work and I can't like my car can't break down. I have to be there. Also, I can't afford for my car to break down. And I think about like single moms who are working two or three jobs where if you miss a couple of shifts in a row because you're sick, you're fired. And yeah, yeah, it's um, and I think that's something that we don't necessarily mention a whole lot in seminary for people is that like if you're in seminary, I mean, some people only went to seminary and seminary and didn't. And I don't understand that. <laughs> like, how is that the yeah. only thing you did? Um, and then you go from only having to do seminary to on, like only working as a pastor. And I think that, I, I don't know, like there, we, we preach a lot of self-care to our congregation, but there are people in the congregation who self-care is not available because like their needs aren't being met. Absolutely. Anyway, we need Absolutely. somebody who raises the minimum wage in leadership. Agreed. So my friends, I, I actually have to get going. Okay. But this was a really good conversation. I'm glad we could have it. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't have to sign off if, if you and Ian want to keep talking, or, or but but I do have to leave. <laughs> nah, you can sign off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we also have to leave. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks thanks for listening, everybody. We are Ethan and Joe and Ian, and we will see you next time. I'm sorry, Ian, you were talking too. I was going to say you could go back and apply like an audio filter so that your voice is much more melancholy. So, like, <laughs> so sad.